Come on. Uh, oh, the dog situation. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor, comedian, and housewife. And right now my dogs are going bananas. You hear <laughs> talking, that? Talking about hot mess. I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a psychotherapist and multicultural counselor. <sighs> I'm so glad to talk to you every Wednesday. And I was thinking about this morning about how- Alec, it's Thursday. Is it Thursday? <laughs> well, we record, on th- we record on Thursdays, but our shows air on Tuesdays. Either way, it's not Wednesday. It's Thursday. Okay. So um, I did this, I came up with this podcast because I don't, I, I, I went for years without getting any mental health help because I was embarrassed. Yeah. And, and culturally I was embarrassed to talk about it. I was, I was ashamed. Do you, do you come into contact with a lot of that with people who are just starting to seek help? Yeah, for sure. Or talk about mental health? Yeah, for sure. It's one of the things that I, that I kind of like also about the fact that, um, virtual therapy is now so much more widely available because Mm. I think people that are accessing therapy even more because it's like just, just a half step less intimidating, but in general, yeah, a lot of people feel very uncomfortable coming into therapy. You know, there's a lot of stigma around it. It feels like there's something wrong and you're having to Mm. ask for support around like things that you feel like you should know. And of course, how should we know these things? So yeah, it's a lot of shit. Wow. So what's your intake like? Are you kind of just kind of like just listening? Are you are you are you deciding? Uh, I don't want to hang out with this person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm usually very I mean, it has to be it has to be pretty extreme cases for me to not take somebody on. Oh, but really? Most, yeah. But most of the time I do. Most of the time people that come to me, I can I can pretty much work with anybody. <laughs> um, what? I could work with anybody. No, I mean that there's there's really not so much that kind of like precludes me from being able to support people. All right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a I'm very conversational. I'm very kind of Mm -hmm. casual in my approach to things. There's a lot of shit going on in the background to make sure that I'm paying attention to everything I need to and doing the interventions that I need to. Got it. In terms of, you know, what it what it's like, you know, with me and a potential new client, it's just a conversation. Hmm. Yeah, I was very pragmatic when I started therapy in 2007 with the so. current, current therapist. I basically came in with like a like a chart presentation. Well, like, <laughs> <laughs> already a te- presentation already telling your therapist so yeah, much. Yeah. I'm this sick. No, um, <laughs> I, I came in with an agenda of things that are were bugging me and I needed to process and yeah. I needed I, I was like I was very well aware of these are my blocks. And this is what I want to work on. And I think the biggest thing about therapy for me was when I talk about things out loud, my therapist that I think are deep, dark secrets, and I'm a horrible person. My therapist will basically shrug and go, and right. You know, it's out loud is, is less terrifying than, um, yeah, totally. I mean, first of all, the fact that you came in knowing kind of very specific things that you wanted to focus on is amazing. As a therapist, I love that. Yeah. When clients come in and and they, they've already given it some thought and they have some ideas of what they want to do. It's a little bit more challenging when clients come in and say like, I think I I just need to talk to somebody, but I don't know. It's like, okay, well, we've got a lot of work to do, but we can do it. Um, But yeah, so it, it is kind of helpful for that, but just being able to talk about the shit itself, however you get there inevitably, right. is such a big healing component of it. Just being able to put it out there. It's the so talk, interesting though. The when talking people, cure. The talking cure, exactly. Wasn't, so it, wasn't it referred to that back back in the olden days? The, the talking cure. 
I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist of the, of the new one days. Um, no, uh, <laughs> in the Freudian times, it was referred yeah, to. Yeah, I'm as, not sure. As yeah, that's a, I mean, especially then, right? Because like, really, that was such a culture when people didn't talk about anything at all. At least mm. now there's so much more vulnerability and openness and access yeah. to these conversations. Yeah. I want it to become as normal as going to the dentist. Right. And so was that even just defining what normal meant? Was that a big part of your well, therapy? No, I, I know. I guess for me, but I, when I when I saw the immediate benefits of yeah. things, when I when I and the my main takeaway from um, my therapy was the voices in my head are really harsh. Yeah. Oh, my to, God. Yeah. To, to the point of cruel cruelty. Yes. Like my therapist would like like would stop me and he goes, all right, listen. <laughs> I know you're joking. I know you're a comic, but the words you're using to describe yourself are pretty heinous. Very harsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And very typical for a lot of comedians too, right? To be to just be so um, just harsh with yourself, kind of use yourself as the humor and all of that mm-hmm. it can be really challenging. I've talked to comedians before about how difficult right. it is to maintain that kind of humor and also enough of a separation in your own mind where you're not constantly absorbing that. I, that's right. Got to be a difficult task. But it's, it's, but in, in noticing that about myself, I also started to notice it in others. Like, wow. Yeah. You're really hard on yourself. You yeah. Know, I Our, think it's, yeah. Our words have a lot of power. Our words have a lot of power. That's why it's really important for things like practicing gratitude, also practicing affirmations. That's right. My affirmation. Yeah. I'm not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember. It's interesting that you're talking about that because, first of all, yes, we are always our own worst critics. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I very first started out in uh, as a therapist um, and was you know doing clinic work, and I was working with this one client who I could not stand. I like oh. hated seeing him. I hated oh, working see, with him. That's what I'm talking about. He was so, it was just so, just so incredibly negative. And then would also try and kind of like come at me, would just oh. try to like take me down a little bit. Oh. And it was just so unpleasant. And I remember talking to my- Where's the boundary um, professionally? And, Where's well, the, where do you go? Wait a second. Well, so if and anytime that there is something that's coming against me, I, I will speak up to, to that part of it. And I'll say, yeah. like, you can't talk to me like this. This is I'm not, not okay. your bitch. Don't, don't find, hang your shit on me. Let's find and a different way it. to express maybe what you're talking about. But just the fact that he was so overwhelmingly negative, I remember talking to my supervisor about it. And I was like, I don't know if I can work with him. I'm like, he is so negative. It's too much. And I'm right. a brand new therapist. Right. So I didn't know at the time what to do. And he said, just think about it for a minute. First of all, what you're getting from him is a drop in the bucket compared to what he is doing to himself inside. (gasps) And you have to sit with him for 45 minutes once a week. He has to live with that every single day, every single minute. And that, and that really rung true because now, because now when I'm, whether personally or professionally, if I'm with somebody that I feel is so kind of just like a lot and just negative and toxic, I I have so much more compassion for what that must be like for them. All right. So how would you deregulate somebody like that? Is it, is it your job as a therapist, just kind of let them sit in that or are, do you kind of redirect it or try to uh, offer an alternative perspective? Yes, a huge, huge, huge part of the intervention for something like that is being able to model exactly what they 
can't do for themselves, which mm. is compassion, right? Mm. Like what I was just talking about that one client, I, was, I, I wasn't having, yes, I wasn't having <laughs> compassion for him. I was sitting in judgment, which oh. is what he's doing for himself all the oh. time. Oh. So if I have the capacity to be able to dig deep and be able to find things about him that are redeeming and maybe mm. just try to reflect that back to him. Now mm-hmm. we're not only setting a tone for what compassion looks like, but I'm starting to now, you know, bridge the gap between me and the client in a way that helps build rapport and trust and then we can start doing more concrete interventions to do. Did it change anything? Did it change anything? Did you find that in that approach that you taking judgment out of it? Did it change his dynamic? A hundred fucking percent yeah. with yeah. that client, with all right. clients, with right. all personal relationships. When, when you're able to kind of just like dig deep and find that love um, over, over judgment, it always makes, you know, such a shift. I was doing a play at the public theater in New York city with an actor who was a complete pain in the neck. And I, just, <laughs> I couldn't, I could not stand working with him. I just, just like, I didn't like his acting. I didn't like, I didn't like, I just didn't like him. I didn't. And it was just like, everything about him bugged me and yeah. it was frustrating. And I was like trying to reach him and I was trying to, and then I found the same thing when you said judgment, I was like, I was judging him. And I looked at the script and I was like, my job in this play is just to adore him. That's yes. it. That's my yeah. whole character. So yep. I came in with that from the minute I walked in, my whole verb was, I love everything about you. Yeah, I love. Oh, my God. Isn't he adorable? Isn't he gorgeous? <laughs> and that changed everything. It changed his acting. It changed uh, the engagement between us. Yeah. I still yeah. for him personally, but um, <laughs> it changed. It changed the dynamic completely. Yeah. And you're very good at that. I've, I've seen you, obviously, with all of our guests, even just experiencing it myself. You're but, you have such an incredible gift at being able to make people feel so comfortable, but not in like a bullshit kind of Hollywood oh, kind oh, of way, yeah. Yeah, well, like in, like in a very, like in a very sincere way, like you yeah. actually find, you know, whatever light exists in a person and you know right. how to, you know, shine that. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious about our guests and I, you know, we have them on here because we invite amazing people. We have we do. Bernhardt, Isaac yeah. Mizrahi, Morgan Fairchild. We had that great conversation with Jody Sweeten. Yep. I mean, just kind of like, and everybody's story, everybody's individual story has been interesting so far. There haven't been any duds. Yeah, yet. well, that's true. But we also have, we've also had, we've also, we've also had an, we've also had an array of personalities, yes. you know? And so, but the, but the way that no matter who the person is, what they bring to the table, how the personalities are, you have a really great ability to be able to find that uh. kind of special thing in a person. And that's something that is you know, that not everybody has. So. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank yes. I'm going to accept that compliment. Good. You deserve yes. it. How's that? <laughs> That's great. Normally I would bat it away. <laughs> I say something, well, you know, I was raised by a rageaholic, so I know how to read the room. Um, I'm so excited about our guest today. I am too. We have a really, really great guest. You guys stick around because we have the one and only Alaska Thunderfuck. All right, thanks guys for coming back. We're very excited to talk to our next guest. She's a phenomenal drag performer and recording artist. You may know her from her appearance on the fifth season of RuPaul's Drag Race and her win on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 2. She now co-hosts her own podcast based on RuPaul's Drag Race called Race Chaser. She also created and hosts the Drag Queen of the Year pageant, which is amazing and all digital so everyone can check it out. Welcome to the show, the one, the only, you know her, you love her, Alaska Thunderfly. Fuck. Yay! Yay! 
Hi. Hi. How's it going? I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I want to talk about your experience on the show. You had submitted yourself to the show like like every other minute. That's right. Yes. Yes, Every single time I was allowed to do (laughs) so. So Mm -hmm. how fast does the machine work? Okay, the show starts airing. Your story starts airing. Um, How fast do you feel like, (laughs) oh, I'm famous now. It feels different. Um, I mean, in my case, it was a little, I mean, it was faster than normal, I Mm -hmm. think, because the, the year before I first got on my, my partner at the time Uh was, was on Uh and won the show. And so it was like, right, Sharon. And -hmm. it was sort of like expected that it was my turn next. And so like things started to, I, I was swept up in her you know, her storm of it. And then I went and did mine and it all just escalated and happened. I didn't even think about Uh, that. You had the previous year to kind of go through her whirlwind. And it was a fucking whirlwind. Yeah. 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 (laughs) What made it, what made it a whirlwind? Yeah. I mean, it was suddenly, it was suddenly like, okay. So we went from, we didn't have enough money to pay the, the light bill mm-hmm. to suddenly we did have enough money to pay the light bill and we had enough money to buy cocaine. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah. yeah. So, and it went from like, we, you know, it, it just suddenly all the doors were open and everyone was saying, yes, yes, you can have, you can have drinks and you can have drugs and you can have whatever you want. All of a sudden. Right. Yeah. yeah. And not everybody handles that well. Right. Not not everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. What was what was that like dating somebody like in such a similar space as you? Because I've been in relationships before where I have, especially as gay guys, you can it's comparing apples to apples sometimes. And I've felt like Mm -hmm. very insecure. I compare myself. I feel like I'm not measuring up like that's been an issue for me in the past. Was there ever any of that competition that existed in your relationship? Well, not really, because. I mean, Sharon was really, really the alpha. Like, she was the dominant Mm. personality. She was the dominant person. She was in charge. She made all the decisions. So, like, it was actually very easy when that was the dynamic because it sort of functioned. But then once I started, like, my own journey and I had to figure out, like, what I was doing and what I wanted out of all of this, that's when it sort of, you know, completely imploded in oh because you weren't you weren't in a you weren't in a subservient position anymore it wasn't like okay you have your own little Uh, plot of land as well and um yeah how did your relationship dynamic change and you know how did you notice it well i felt like i mean at a certain point we just sort of we sort of stopped like seeing each other like we Hmm. stopped talking and i think that I mean, for my part, I know that I got really swept up in everything. I was doing coke a lot Mm. and and I and I started like having like dalliances romantically outside of our relationship, which we were very monogamous the whole time we were dating, which was like four years Uh until sort of the end. And then it got kind of then it was a little loosey goosey. And then it was like, oh, my God. I know that I've cheated on him. So I need to just, whenever I'm around him, 
all I want to do is scream out, oh my God, I cheated on you. I'm so sorry. But instead of doing that, I just got wasted and we just got wasted. Yeah, that's a choice. That's a, that's, a choice. <laughs> that's a choice that I've made a whole bunch. <laughs> Cocaine ruins everybody. And I've seen it happen like in real time with people. Yeah. Like it's a yeah. real mind altering drug totally. until I see people and it's like, you're not you anymore. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. You're not but even, but even thinking about like any of it, right? Like getting wasted or getting, you know, or on Coke or whatever it is. It's like mm-hmm. to help really quiet down the noise and uh, kind of like dull the pain of the shame that comes up for us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially if we're doing, you know, if if we've stepped outside of the relationship, you know, relationships are so difficult and fucking layered. And so it's really, mm-hmm. there's so much to pay attention to and understand maybe why people aren't connecting anymore or why mm-hmm. we maybe kind of step out at times. But like, yeah. these are generally not the conversations we have. We generally think like, if you cheated, you're bad, you're terrible. And so then we can feel all of that shame ourselves too. And it's just easier to say like, fuck this and just get wasted. Right. And it's the whole behind the music thing. I mean, every single behind the music special on VH1 is exactly the same story. Nobody's supposed to get everything they want all at once. And very few people are in. I mean, nobody nobody really has that conversation because it's like, oh, boohoo. You got famous. You got a lot of attention. (laughs) Everybody gave you drinks. But it's true that it's like uh, the RuPaul says that uh, fame is a drug and everybody reacts on it differently. And of the girls who've gone through the show, I've seen who's handled it and who hasn't, you know? And so walk us through your experience of like getting to a bad place and realizing you were in a bad place. Well, uh, Michelle Visage was very helpful Mm. during that journey, actually, because we became really close doing a, production of the Rocky Horror Show. So we were like living in a house together Mm. for like a month. So we became really close and it was sort of like, that was very much like toward the end of mine and Sharon's relationship. And it was really unraveling and I was partying a lot. And she was basically like, if you, you know, I mean, this is your chance right now. And if you, become known as the queen who just shows up and gets wasted and then pulls Mm. the dick out on stage, Mm -hmm. then that's, then this is going to be a very short run and that's going to be your reputation. That's going to be it. And so like that, I was like, I don't, you know, I want this to be a, I want to have longevity and do this because this is what I've worked Mm -hmm. for so long for. So that was really a turning point. And part of that meant I needed to like come clean with Sharon and we needed to figure out what the fuck we were doing or we were just going to like implode. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, then we imploded and then we broke up and then I stopped drinking for a while, which was great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I basically stopped drinking as revenge toward Uh, Sharon because I was like, Every day of our entire relationship, we got we got drunk. That was what we did. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. it was like sort of when you pick up all the personal effects that you gifts you got from your ex and you burn Mm -hmm. them in a box. It was like (laughs) me putting away drinking was like really, really severing that. Yeah. Yeah. But it ended up being so fucking transformative because I got to figure out what drag was like for real sober. Mm -hmm. And it was like rad and i got to fall in love with it and um yeah it was that was a major turning point was there anything that was um like scary about it and kind of like doing it sober now 
Well, yeah. I mean, being on stage is terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. So it was learning. It, I mean, it, it went back to like, it went back to when I was like acting in like college. Like I was never wasted when I was on stage doing that. Mm-hmm. But, but it was great. And so it was like get, getting back to that and like flexing that muscle of like, yes, it is terrifying to go on stage. And then that terrifying feeling transmutes into good shit on stage. So mm-hmm. like your instincts yeah. are better and your improv is better. And like, uh, it's a better performance. So mm-hmm. it was like relearning that. Mm-hmm. Cause you're right. It is. I, I, I'm never scared when I'm on stage, but right before um, I go on, yeah. I'm always like, I, yeah, like I perform with Jackie a lot. And like yeah. her ritual is like 10 minutes before we go on Jackie beat 10 minutes before she go, we go on. She's always like, why are we doing this? <laughs> why, well, I don't want to do this. Uh, why are we doing this? And then on stage, she's fine. And, but I always feel like, uh, oh, whoa. I was at the laugh factory with Judy Tenuta and we were backstage and we mm-hmm. both had that wide eyed look that, you know, like we're about to be shot. <laughs> And then I looked at her and I was like, why are we doing this? And she said, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I hear from so many performers and they're like, yeah, I want to just take like have a drink to like take the get my nerves off or like take a pill or whatever. And it's like, no, like those nerves are fucking horrible, but they that's your fuel on stage, yeah. at least for me. Yeah. 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 It, 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 you think that being drunk on stage makes you braver, but actually it just makes you talk longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You've been on stage for three hours. Get off. Um, <laughs> it's so interesting. Like it, 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 with the journey of people who go on Drag Race, you're one of the few people who's gone beyond your year. You went beyond your year. Um, it's how you can modify it. Cause you go to drag con and you see some Queens or there's no line for them. There's no, what was that your plan? You said longevity earlier. Did you have a concrete plan of like, how am I going to keep this relevant? This The character of Alaska. Well, I mean, I wish that, you know, I could, I could be smart enough to have had a plan. Mm. I pretty much, ju- I'm, I'm extremely lucky, but I also work really hard. And so it's like a mixture of those things. I don't, I don't think that it's just like, oh, I work harder than other queens. So it it's like there's so much that goes into it's such a fucking gamble, especially with drag race, what the what your journey is going to be like mm-hmm. and what it's going to become. Mm-hmm. So like and a lot of it has to do with what story is told on the show. If the story is told that you're great and you're funny and you're fierce and then like good for you but also the show can fucking be like you're adult you're stupid and you know you're you're bad at drag and then that becomes your story to this mm. huge audience mm. and that's like really I, so i don't know i mean it's like it's like you know it's luck and it's I, well I you know. told our producer that after the second time you were on for mm-hmm. um for uh, all stars, you experienced a bit yeah. of a backlash. What was that about? Um, well, I threw it. I threw a fit on the show because mm-hmm. I was doing really good the whole season, and then I did really bad. And so, 
instead of doing the relative do makeover it. challenge. I'm a super fan, so I, I was uh-huh. and my mom was there. Mm-hmm. So they were like, so I was standing on the stage and they were like, You're ugly, your mom is ugly, um, you're terrible. And Oof. um, and I was like, and so I freaked out. And so instead of doing what I would do at home, which is like go in my room and freak out and cry Mm -hmm. and write Mm -hmm. my journal. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, I had eight cameras on me. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of like let it like explode. And I was like, and so I threw a fit. I started like, I tried to bribe one of the contestants to like (laughs) not vote me out. Um, And it was just a really like ugly moment that I'm used to with myself. Sure. I I live with that monster every single day. Mm. But the drag race audience had only seen the, you know, lighthearted, wacky, funny, right. wacky right. version right. of me. Yeah. And so it was like I had this community that was so supportive of me for years. And they were rooting for me and they were behind me. And then all of a sudden, with one episode of television, <gasps> it completely, one hundred percent turned um, no. the other direction. And it was, "You're a snake. You're a fake ass bitch. I used to be your fan, and now I'm Oof. not." And it was that. As it was just a maelstrom of that, and I mean, the show was bigger than it had ever been at that time. Right. So, the and it was real time. Was, it was while the show was happening. Yes. Yeah, a show that you filmed like a year ago is uh-huh. now on the air, and and so now, I knew. Yeah. So that whole year, I knew this was coming. I knew the episode was coming. I knew it was going to be disastrous. I didn't know oh, how shit. bad. I knew it was coming. Then it happened, and then it was just like this thing that had been my identity, which yeah. was like. I'm Alaska from Drag Race. Uh, I have I have um, a community of people who, yeah. who loves me and supports mm-hmm. me and loves my music and the work I'm putting out. And then all and that had been so much my identity. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly it was like, oh no, no, you are bad now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Alaska, what do you remember the moment? Like, was it you saw something on social media or what was the moment that you started to realize everybody was turning? It was, and I, you know. I, and by I, everybody, is it like a couple of haters or is it like a whole wave no, of yuck? No, it was everyone. It was mm. everyone. And I'm not the person who delves into the comment section right. uh, because it's a toilet bowl and it makes me feel like shit. I yeah. can't take but, it. I yeah. won't look. I, right. won't, like, I don't Same. read reviews. Like people say you yeah. read reviews. It's like, no, because you no. take it too personally. If it's good, right. I take it personally. Then exactly. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm amazing. Yeah. And if it's bad, then mm-hmm. I'm shit. And you yeah. know, it's just, no. Yeah. But this was to the point where it, it wasn't even just in the comment sections. It was tweets at me and it was messages to me and it was emails that it was like, it was like, I couldn't even just say, Oh, I'm not going to turn it on. It was like every time I picked up this this phone, yeah, it was, it was people telling me that I'm awful and I'm a monster. So how do you, how do you separate yourself from that or get to a point where you're like, I always talk about it. Like, where do I get to the point where I'm not taking it personally? Well, wait, how did it in in that moment? Sorry, I like not but like in the moment, what do you remember feeling? Was there like, was there just like panic? Was it anxiety? Were you feeling like, what was the, what was the mood of it? Yeah, it was all those. 
It was, yeah. I was feeling Magenta. Um, Fellow <laughs> uh, <laughs> girls. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, it was panic. It was sadness. It was like, I felt really betrayed because I, I, because I, I guess I took it personally that, you know, that I had a community that supported me and I thought that that was real. And I, you know, and I guess it was, I guess it sort of, liberated me from the falsehood of believing that that was real. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I thought it was just like, oh, well, yeah, of course they like me. I'm great. I'm good at, I'm good at drag. I like, you know, Mm -hmm. so of course. And, and then it was like, well, no, that, that shouldn't be part of your identity because it's just. Yeah. Typing in the computer. So it's not real. Totally. It's, it's that thing we were talking with Jody, uh, who was on um, Full House for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it, it, the work it takes to separate yourself from what you do, to mm, not yeah. identify, I'm not what I do. I'm a completely different thing from what I do. And that's yeah. what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very easy for us to over-identify with what we do, especially in the culture that we live in just generally, um, you know, where, you know, we're forced to kind of like hustle and work and make money and, you know, show something of ourselves. We over-identify with that Mm -hmm. um, so that when there's any kind of, you know, any backlash to that part of ourselves, it doesn't just feel like, oh, fuck, there's like some setback or I'm getting some heat. It feels like, wow, everybody hates who I am. Um, yeah. And then you can kind of feel that. And it's so hard when something like that happens, especially when we've really kind of, you know, started, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid of it all. Mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. you know, for it to send this into a tailspin where like I've had this happen to me before, too, even with just like mild little things on social media where it's like it's I start to feel like some panic or anxiety or even you know like depression. Um, mm-hmm. And it can just like put you into a dark fucking place. I know. Yeah. And I see I see so many people go through it. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. So I had my moment. Where yeah. I was not great. <laughs> what was your that, moment, Alec? That, what was your thing? That bit me in the ass. I worked all the time when I first started out. All the time. I worked nonstop for three years. I moved to Los Angeles and I didn't mm. work for three years. Yeah. And I identified with what I did more than anything. Yeah. And so without a job, without being um, in the spotlight, I was like, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. And it was really like, I really felt like I was nothing. And it took me so long to get back to a place where it's like, I'm not what I do. Right. I'm not what right. I do. And now when I work, when I'm on a film set, when I'm on a television show, I'm like, this is part of my day. And I'm really grateful for it. Yes. Because it really yeah. enables me to live the way that I do, you know? And it's kind of like, it's not who I am. And, and, and I'm prone to my own depressions, you know, I don't say unemployed. I say I'm in between artistic triumphs. Um, (laughs) Because sometimes, I mean, I've had times where I haven't worked for a year, you know, I just, I'll do some gigs. I'll, I'll, you know, that's why stand up's so great. Well, it was great, but um, there are times where you just kind of are, nothing's happening. Yeah. Can't take it personally. And you really, if you don't know who you are and what your value is, as a human being, you will suffer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, put, add that on to my own chemical depression. Yeah. You know, and it was like, mm, totally. You know? yeah. but I, I see friends, uh, Alaska all the time become famous and it's kind of like, okay, she's having her moment. Yeah. 
you know, Alaska for you, when, you know, when did you realize that you were maybe kind of like going through like a heavier kind of like mood, that darkness, like, how did you, how did you identify that? And then what did you do with it? How did you get through it? Well, I mean, I think the, um, I think I started to really delineate a separation. So I became like really way more private about Mm. my real life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And not wanting to just put everything out on the table and just becoming like really protective of the like squishy human being that was behind the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it was like, and then, I mean, as far as like outwardly, I just completely absorbed it and owned it and said, yes, I am. I am the snake queen bitch. So I'm, I'm, I'm a nasty fucking monster. (laughs) So I, so, so I'm going to write nasty fucking monster on a t-shirt and sell it to you, you know? So it was like (laughs) ownership. It sounds like ownership. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I had to completely own it because it was like, it was no surprise to me the way I was acting on, on that show. I just had never done it on that show. So, so no one had been introduced to it publicly, but like, I know, I know I'm a, I'm a great, I'm fucking, I'm a monster <laughs> to myself no, but, all the time. But like I, the two things that stand out to me about that one is boundaries, making sure that you're not giving yeah. everything of who you are out to everybody, you mm-hmm. know, with, with like no boundary at all. You created that boundary. So you only offered now very consciously what you wanted to. And then the yeah. other part of that too, was you were rewriting your own fucking narrative, right? It's like, don't right. let somebody else pick up your pen when writing your story. And so you took it right. you worked with what you had, whatever the mess was there in the moment and you put a spin on it and you were then able able to move forward with that too. I think both of those strategies are amazing. I love the word squishy. There's I do too. Of, I love that word. Kind of, uh, that's, uh, that's so great. It, there's yeah. such self-knowledge in that about vulnerability and yes. something squishy is should not be exposed. It has to be taken care of. And yes. I love that. Um, I do too. Uh, 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 description. You have, um, uh, you have a great event coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. that you're hosting. Can you tell us about it? Tell us all about it. <laughs> well, um, in 2019, we did this uh, experiment and we basically were like, my dear friend Lola LaCroix and I, um, we decided to put on a pageant that was like sort of open to all types of performers mm-hmm. in, on the same stage. So it was like, we had like, uh, we had like cis, like AFAB, like uh, female performers. We had like uh, a trans performer. We had someone from Dragula. We had like, so it was like, we had like illusionists. So it was very like, we're shoving all these different types of drag and mm-hmm. drag performers onto one stage and seeing what happened. Fine. And what ended up happening was like, the fiercest drag show ever. So <gasps> we so we were putting it off to do it again until like the world reopened and then the world is I mean the world's reopening but America is a little late. Um so instead yeah. <laughs> instead of holding out for a theater we're like why don't we just do it digitally this year? So we're going to do it digitally on oh, nice. March 7th um on Sessions Live um which is a really amazing streaming platform. And um, we have an amazing lineup of queens and it's going to be really great. 
Queens and Kings. I love that. <laughs> love I love that. I love the inclusivity of things of like letting everybody kind of let their freak flag f- fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was yeah. a tongue twister. I, I almost <laughs> didn't get through that one. Did you hear that? I almost had a stroke. Um, that's great. I, it's I love I love the inclusivity of it. Real quick, um, I always like ask drag queens there, like I feel like the creation of a drag queen is always like a superhero origin story. Like, mm-hmm. where does Alaska come from? Because there is a definite characteristic about her, the kind of queen that she is and her mannerisms. Where how did that come about? Marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly. I mean, really? Well, first of all, uh, the name comes from marijuana. Like it's stolen from a strain of marijuana called Alaskan okay. Thunderfuck. Then it was like I I moved to L.A. and I I felt like a weirdo and, and a freak because I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. So I think that's where like the alien thing came from. Because okay. I actually felt like I don't belong here in this in this weird show business land and so i was doing drag to like just like soothe my soul it was Mm. not i was not trying to pursue it as a career i was just doing it to like stay sane yeah and then it ended up opening a a lot a lot of doors and so i just pursued it but i really feel like the character of her being alaska being from space and like it really i feel like it channeled itself into my into me Mm -hmm. and so i feel like it i don't know it's its own thing that exists and i am a channel to to let it flow forward i love that i am but a vessel (laughs) for alaska (laughs) yes i'm not meant to my own i am a vessel yeah i mean and you and taylor swift both from pennsylvania so there's obviously space Mm. here for everybody because you're a pittsburgh right isn't that where you're from you you guys lived in pittsburgh i lived in pittsburgh for many years i grew up in erie pennsylvania Mm. which is like two hours from pittsburgh okay I love that. I just love the creation of like it, the drag character, the drag queen becomes the champion of you, of the person mm-hmm. inhabiting it. it that the, the stories that we've heard, Matthew, on the show are people are empowered by that persona. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. yeah, for me, that's stand up. It's like on stage, I can get away with murder off stage. That would be. Yeah. But, but Alec, kind of, you were yeah. you were kind of saying the same thing. And interestingly, I think for all of us, because Alec, you said that when you were younger, you in order to just be able to kind of like thrive in your house to make your dad laugh, you would have mm-hmm. to just be funny. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of your mm-hmm. outlet. That was your way of coping. Alaska mm-hmm. for you, like you said, moving to a place where you felt out of out of place being able to Mm -hmm. dive into that character. It wasn't like you were trying to be a star. It was, that was the thing that was working for you and was a coping mechanism for you. For me, I'm a therapist because, you know, turning inward and being able to self-reflect and all that stuff was like my way of trying to make sense of the world around me. And then like organically, all of these things for all of us kind of lend themselves to these paths for us. Yeah, definitely. So where where are you at with the fandom now? Like how is, have we gotten back to one are you are you objective about it? I mean, what is what's it like now? Well, now it's like it's like, you know, I do work that I care about um and that I like and sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss and you know, it's <laughs> like so you know, you just but ultimately I keep doing it because I love fucking I love doing drag. I love it. 
I love it so much. So like, even if, even if I'm doing it and no, you know, no one's watching or no one's listening, it's like, I'm still ultimately, I'm still ultimately going to do it. Yeah. So I'm just, totally. I'm grateful when it, you know, I'm grateful when it's a hit. I try to not let it be completely gloom and doom when it's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, keep going. Yeah, I've but seen you perform live a bunch. You know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, well, and but also you, it sounds like you know what you're doing, especially because your intention is set, that you're doing it for you first. You're not doing it like for the applause and for everybody right. else. You do it for your yourself first. And like Oprah says, you have to find that spark of joy within you that you can Thanks, light it so Oprah. that you can illuminate the world in your own way. Thanks, Oprah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Oprah. You, Oprah. <laughs> no, but that's the thing about like a performer when it's just you out there, it, there really has to become a point where it's like, I'm, I make the decision to enjoy myself no matter what. Right. That if I come off stage and I'm like, God damn it, then that's, that's on me. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Because there yeah. are ways to save yourself even when things go sideways. There are right. ways to kind of go, you just acknowledge it. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's kind of like, I thought that was funny when I wrote it. Apparently it's not. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Fuck all of you. You're people. Um, where can I talk to you forever? I feel like we haven't we haven't seen each other in in forever. And I miss I miss the tribe of East Side people in Los Angeles, Casita del Campo, oh, performing with people and performing live. I really, really miss it. Um, so we always end the show with a, with a, you've given us so many pearls of wisdom. I'm going to walk away with squishy. Squishy is my favorite new <laughs> Word. Kind of mental health. Squishy too. Um, Cause it's not judgmental. It's not like no. I'm bad. I'm weak. It's like, it's squishy. Yeah. There's something yeah. very like sweet and precious about it yeah. too. And also relatable. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your hot message of the day? We always end with, you know, given, given what people are going through, you know, if there's, if, you know, you talked about feeling like an alien uh-huh. and feeling different from everybody else. And mm-hmm. every year, another busload full of people empties into Los Angeles and they're all weirdos. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So what's, what would your words of wisdom be to the, to the weird, to the new crop of weirdos coming into town who don't feel like they fit in anywhere? Well, I mean, I guess the wisdom generally is like taking the things that, that you think are weird about yourself that you think that nobody wants to see or nobody should see. Uh, it, those might be the, the things that are gold, you know, that, that make you special and like sort of invite in other people who, who feel like they, there are parts of themselves they can't show. So like take those things that you think are ugly or, or dumb and like put those out front and say, Hi, here it is. <laughs> here she is, world. Here she is, folks. Where can, where can folks find you on your social medias? Um, on Instagram, I'm at the only Alaska 5000. And then you can just go to alaskathunderfuck.com and um, look at, buy my t-shirt. thank you so much for doing the show thank you you are a bright light and and easy on the eyes you're a very pretty pretty boy thank you because you you know really that's all that matters (laughs) (laughs) 
how we look. That's on the, the takeaway from Los Angeles for today's episode. Step it up. All right, wow. love you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, you Thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast. Wow, that was great, Matthew. Yeah, yeah what a I really lovely that conversation. conversation. Yep. What's your What's your hot message? Uh, I think that my hot message is kind of what we were talking about somewhere in the middle of, of the show today, which is you can't buy into any of it. Like you can't buy into all the applause, the accolades, it's all, not all, real. all that kind of attention. You can't buy into that, even though it's really tempting and really easy, because if you buy into that, then you're also going to have to buy into the the shit that comes with that, the mm-hmm. hate, the unfollows, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the nasty DMs. So you can't over-identify with that. You can't. No. No, it's poison. What fame about you? What's yours? Aside from squishy, what's your hot um, message? Uh, my, uh, fame is a booby prize. <laughs> Give me the cash. That's my hot message of the day. I'd rather have money. I'd rather have money than be famous. <laughs> this is like famous, famous, like, like oh, piggybacking yeah. on you. Because yeah. you're very large. Um, <laughs> I'm a little guy. Uh, fame is fickle. It comes yeah. and it goes. And when it comes, you got to know who you are. Yeah. So that you'll be okay when it goes and, yeah. it'll, you know, it'll come and it'll go. It'll come and it'll go. You can't identify with any of it. Where can we find you on your social big you, boy? You can find me at MJ Dempsey psych on Instagram and Twitter and Matthew J Dempsey psychotherapy on Facebook. I don't, I haven't seen you in person in so long. I've forgotten like, it's how been tall are you? so long. How tall are you? You're Six. like a, Two-ish? Yeah, you're yeah. you're a big fella. Uh, you can find me. That's why I say big boy. I always think about you like getting hit by a car and then just getting up and like <laughs> Jesus God. Um, you can find me at Alec Mop on Facebook, uh, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm not even drunk. Um, <laughs> Yes, and uh, you can find us both at Stage 29 Podcasts <laughs> on Twitter and the Instagram. DM us. We want to hear from you. We want to yeah. do a whole show where we just answer questions from, yeah. from the audience. Somebody wrote me the other day and said, um, do you and Matthew get along? Are you guys friends? And I'm like, yeah, what is it about this? Really? He's like, we're not <laughs> on the same page, is what I thought. Anyway, um, don't forget to download and subscribe. Uh, we, we love hearing from you and tune in next week for some more hot mess fun. Bye, everybody. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.